evening. My name is Barney, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and yes, I am from Alderson West by God, Virginia. <laughs> and it's nice to be here tonight. I come back to, uh, I retired about <clears throat> five years ago and uh, bought a, a piece of property back in West Virginia. So I'm back there most of the time. And uh, But I come back out to California in the wintertime because I'm, I'm crazy, but I'm not stupid. And um, so I get the hell away from all that snow and ice and everything. But it's nice to be here again. I haven't been in this club uh, for a long time. It's been, I guess, about five years or so since I was here. I think Tim was saying that he was here with me the last time I was here. And um, I remember coming to Laguna Beach to the Canyon Club when I was about six months sober. Uh, the man who was sponsoring me uh, was uh, coming down here. We used to, uh, they used to have people come down to the Canyon Club, and this is the old Canyon Club, um, and bring a panel. And uh, they would come down with uh, six or seven speakers from uh, L.A. or wherever they were coming from. And uh, he asked me if I'd go to the Laguna Canyon Club and participate in the meeting down there, and I did. He allowed me to talk about I think he said I could have two minutes. And uh, so, and that was uh, just about 29 years ago. Um, and uh, so I've been coming to the Canyon Club for a long time. And I remember when they built this new club, and it's, it's very nice, very fancy place. It's nice. And um, so it's nice to see all of you again. I, uh, if you're new here tonight, and there, there were quite a few people that raised their hands. And, and there are quite a number of people here, I suspect, who have a year or less. How many have a year or less? A year or less. Yeah, I'm glad to see you all. Uh, I, um, I don't know how you feel if you're new. But I know that when I was new, my sense was that uh, I was in the wrong place, that I was here by mistake, that I was not really an alcoholic, uh, that somebody had made a terrible mistake, my, namely my ex-wife. And because uh, <laughs> she was divorcing me, she called me an alcoholic, and, and I knew that I was not an alcoholic. And uh, I, uh, I didn't like uh, being an AA. I didn't like being in AA meetings. I thought they were boring, and I thought the people were kind of goofy. And, and uh, I, I wasn't interested in whatever was going on here. I knew that... Uh, that I did not have a disease, um, and uh, I, I was willing to admit that my drinking was a little peculiar sometimes, but uh, uh, I didn't really think that I was uh, hooked that badly. And I, like Tim, I thought there, was, there had to be some way that I could that I could uh, get my drinking under control. Um, and uh, but I, you know, here I was being divorced and. Uh, and I didn't want to get divorced. We had six children, and and uh, we had played a lot of Vatican roulette. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we had these six kids. We were living in Woodland Hills, California at the time. And um, uh, and I was a rather successful guy, I thought. And uh, I, you know, it seemed to me that you couldn't be an alcoholic and be as successful as I was. I was a television news anchorman, and uh, uh, I was making a lot of money. And um, 
I was uh, had this nice home and I had uh, uh, six kids and I had a swimming pool and I had two cars and I had uh, a lot of uh, very fancy clothes and my kids had fancy clothes and my wife had fancy clothes and, and uh, I couldn't imagine that uh, anybody uh, like me could possibly be an alcoholic. Uh, I didn't know anything about the disease of alcoholism, but I, I just imagined that what an alcoholic was like, and I, I just didn't see myself that way. And um, so uh, I knew that there was no possible way that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous could help me. The main reason I, I knew that I was not an alcoholic is because when I drink, I feel better. <laughs> So I knew that, you know, you couldn't be an alcoholic. I thought, you know, alcoholics were people who drank and started uh, seeing rats coming out of the walls and cockroaches coming out of the chandeliers and, and uh, hiding bottles and, and uh, couldn't hold down a job and, and uh, you know, wearing long coats and, uh, and uh, just kind of huddling in doorways and sleeping in cardboard boxes and... Uh, and indeed, that is true of a lot of alcoholics that I have met. I sponsor a couple of guys that slept in cardboard boxes. I mean, that, that is true of some people here. But it is certainly not true of everybody in AA. And, uh, but I just had this vision of uh, alcoholics uh, that was uh, very screwed up. And um, uh, I, see, I grew up uh, in, uh, in the south side of Chicago in an Irish Catholic neighborhood. Uh, where uh, uh, you didn't have to be Irish, but it sure helped. Um, and my father was Welsh, uh, but my mother was very Irish. She was one of 16 children in an Irish family, and, and uh, she was a Flannery, that was her name. And, and uh, so I, I considered myself Irish, and I told everybody that I was Irish. And the Monsignor who ran that church was Monsignor Patrick J. McGuire. And... Uh, and his feast day, of course, was St. Patrick's Day, which became the most important day of the year. And um, that's the kind of place it was. And I, the, the Dominican nuns uh, ran that school that I went to. And uh, uh, in those days, you could go to a private uh, school uh, for almost nothing. As a matter of fact, it was a dollar a month. That's what we paid tuition in that school. And we had these wonderful nuns teaching. And, and um, uh, my memory of the nuns is not, I hear people talk about nuns uh, in a negative way. I, I don't have a negative feeling about those nuns. I think they tried as hard as they could to teach us some values and some standards in addition to reading, writing, and arithmetic, which they were very good at, uh, to teach us some values and some standards to live by so that we could, you know, we could live as a happy uh, people, that I could be a happy man, and, uh, and I could have a good life. And, uh, and, and then I went on to uh, Catholic high school in Chicago, Mount Carmel High School uh, on the south side of Chicago, and I had the Carmelite priests there. And I think these men worked very hard to try to give us a set of standards and values to live by so that we would be happy, contented, peaceful people in our lives. And, uh, and then my mother used, my dad died when I was 14, and, and my mom used the last of the insurance money to send me to the University of Notre Dame. And uh, I had the Holy Cross Fathers, and, uh, and I know that they worked very hard to try to give us a set of standards and values to live by uh, so that we could live to be contented, happy people and, 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 and grow to be fine men and, 
and, and, and standards of the community. And they all failed. <laughs> These people screwed up something terrible because... Uh, <laughs> when I was 21, I was a mess. Uh, when I was 21, I was a frightened, uh, uh, inadequate, uh, uh, terrified little boy... Uh, who was who was mentally still on the south side of Chicago, mentally still poor, mentally still not with it, mentally not knowing what the hell to do for a living, uh, just absolutely lost uh, in a world that I didn't understand, that I was scared to death. And, uh, and I was a sinner. And I knew that I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner when I was seven years old. Um... Matter of fact, I knew that I was a moral leper. <laughs> that's not only somebody who sins a lot, that's somebody who enjoys it thoroughly. <laughs> and I knew you were supposed to like it that much. I was supposed to feel guilty, and I was supposed to feel a lot of remorse. And the only time I felt guilty is somebody caught me. Because <laughs> I love sin. I mean, sin is really fun. And, and, uh, and I found a lot of things to sin about. And... Uh, and I was, but I was a very confused uh, young man. I, I really had a lot of confusion about uh, everything you could imagine, and I didn't know what, I didn't know how men behaved. I didn't know what you were supposed to do to be a man. I thought it had something to do with being tough. I thought it had something to do with uh, being willing to throw the first punch. Uh, I thought it had something to do with uh, uh, talking loud and being aggressive. And uh, I thought it had something to do with uh, pretending that you were okay even when you weren't. And I know how to do that. And uh, I know how to pretend, as they say, I know how to pretend I got my shit together. I can pretend that. I can, I can look pretty good. Uh, I can act sophisticated and, and worldly. And I'm just this little Irish kid from the south side of Chicago uh, who doesn't know what the hell to do with himself. Um, I didn't do any drinking in my younger years to speak of. I had a little bit of drinking. I, I didn't like beer and I didn't, the taste of whiskey. My mother was an alcoholic. Uh, she wasn't drunk all the time. She was just drunk part of the time. And um, we didn't know what an alcoholic was. We certainly didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. We didn't know any of that stuff. Um, but, I, you know, she, sometimes she got very drunk. And she'd roll around on the floor and cry and carry on. And I, it embarrassed me. And I, I, I didn't know what the hell to do about that. But it never dawned on me, never occurred to me that I would ever do anything like that. I mean, people don't behave that way. And uh, through a series of uh, really odd coincidences, I ended up in the radio broadcasting business. I had learned a little bit about it at Notre Dame. And, and then I got a little job at a little radio station in Monroe, Michigan, when I came out of school. And, and I... Uh, I did that, and then I, I went to Toledo, and I became a news director in Toledo, and then I was a news director of a radio station in Detroit. And uh, I had, uh, for some reason or other, I, had, I was 22, 23 years old, and I had guys working for me who were 45 and 50. And uh, I, I was still scared to death. And I thought somebody was going to catch on pretty soon. <laughs> I'm still bullshitting my way through, and I, you know, I'm looking good. I know how to, I know how to look good. I know how to look like I got it together. And uh, now, 
I'm, I'm scared and I and I'm, I feel inadequate and I feel like I'm not I'm not you know, I don't have I don't know what to do and and uh, I got married when I was 21 I guess and started having these kids and and uh, uh, I don't know much much about that either I don't know much about being a husband I don't know much about being a father I don't know much about anything I'm so dumb just so dumb and and I'm the news director of a major radio station in Detroit by now. And then I went into television and I started uh, doing TV work and, and, and a lot of changes took place in television right at that period in, in, uh, in the middle 60s. Uh, everybody went full color and, uh, you know, from black and white to color, we went from magnetic uh, optical sound to magnetic stripe film. Uh, we went to, uh, and ultimately we went to minicam and videotape real fast and satellite trucks and Jesus, everything changed. Within a period of about 10 years, everything rolled around and uh, God, it all changed. The electronics changed and everything changed. And I was, I was there. I was working through all of that process. And uh, every time they, you know, we went from typewriters to computers and Jesus, I mean, it was just nutsy. And uh, I was so a frightened little boy. Now, Somewhere in my early 20s, I made a magic discovery. And I think it's a discovery that sooner or later every alcoholic has to make. And it's such a simple thing. Nobody ever pays much attention to it when it happens. Uh, somebody ought to put a plaque on the wall. But nobody ever does. Uh, it just, it's just one night it happens. And, you, and, you, and you, it just goes by. And, and here it is. No matter how I feel, no matter what's going on in my life, if I'm up or down, if I'm happy or sad, if I feel bright or stupid, whatever's going on in my life, when I drink, I feel better. <laughs> it is such a simple, it's, it's just nobody ever notices. It just happens. Now... It turns out, I feel so good when I drink that I want a lot. <laughs> because I somehow am convinced in my own mind that if I drink more, it's going to get better and better and better and better. Well, it doesn't, as we all know. But it does get pretty good. And it's a lot of fun. And, and I somehow, I feel like a million dollars. A few drinks and I'm right on top of the world. A few drinks that I am brighter than you. A few drinks that I'm the most intelligent guy in the room. A few drinks that I'm certainly the most handsome. A few drinks that I'm the slickest guy going. A few drinks, I mean, it just magically turns me into something really marvelous in my own brain. And uh, so I drink a lot. And, uh, and, I, and I get drunk, of course. Uh, and I, here's the thing. When I get drunk, I have a tendency to move around a lot. I, I travel quite a bit. Uh, I go from bar to bar. Uh, I go from city to city. I go from country to country. I just move around a lot. Uh, I don't remember things. I have a tendency to forget. I forget where my car is. I forget what I'm doing. I forget who I'm with. I forget 
forget. I just can't remember. I just, I go through these periods of time that I kind of lose time. I lose a day. I lose two days. Uh, I, well, just as an example, I can remember, uh, I woke up at the airport in Kingston, Jamaica. <laughs> On a, turns out it was a Saturday afternoon. And the last thing I can remember was having a couple of drinks in a bar in Detroit Friday night. <laughs> now, that would be all right if it happened once. But it happened to me a lot. And you wake up in all these strange places, and you can't remember where the hell you are. And it's, uh, it's embarrassing, and uh, you don't want to ask. <laughs> And you finally figure it out, and you, and you, you know, you manage to get home, and and, uh, and and of course the first question is, where have you been? <laughs> They've been calling from work. You know, if you anchor the news and you don't show up, they notice. <laughs> they just expect you to be there every goddamn day. It's a, I mean, you're under pressure that way, and it's just. <laughs> God, it's awful, and uh, and I don't know how to explain uh, my behavior. I don't know how to, uh, I don't know what to say. I, you know, because I, because I ain't going on these trips alone. <laughs> Most of the time, I have company, and. Uh, and my only hope, of course, uh, most of the time is that she's got her own credit card. <laughs> but I spend huge amounts of money uh, trying to impress people I don't even know. And uh, it turns out I spend, most of the time, I spend about 10% more than I make. And it doesn't make a difference how much I make because I tell you what, uh, by the time I was 27 or 28 years old, I was making a lot of money. And, uh, and I was having a good time. And they were, ABC was flying this other guy and I into New York, and we were being uh, uh, wined and dined uh, in the Leonard Goldenson suite at uh, the, the New York Hilton Hotel, and we were being taken up to the top of the, the black tower there on the Avenue of the Americas, and they put us in this big auditorium. I'm 27 years old, 28 years old, and we're lecturing the suits. We used to call them the suits. These are the guys who are sales guys and advertising guys from all over the country would come in and they'd sit in this auditorium and we would lecture these guys on how we got such great ratings in Detroit. And we had no idea. <laughs> but we would tell them anyway. We made stuff up. And they took notes. And uh, those were wild times. And uh, it was, uh, it's my bookie, tell him, uh, I'm giving the 14 points, though. And, uh, oh, the Super Bowl's over. Uh, so, that's why I was. And uh, so we're working hard. The ratings are great. We're making a ton of money. And I'm drunk all the time. Just drunk, night after night after night after night. And uh, just roaring around, having a hell of a time. And uh, I can only tell you that by the time I was 30, I began to get very tired. 
and uh, it became harder and harder to function. It became harder and harder to go down and sit in that studio and have them turn those goddamn lights on you. And you just want to melt. And it was get, it got harder and harder to read the copy. It got harder and harder to convince people that I was okay. Because by this time, I'm getting a reputation for being a real bad drunk. And But the ratings are good. So they're not going to fire me. Uh, they, they just lectured me a lot. And uh, when I'm 35, my wife divorces me because she thinks I'm an alcoholic. And I know that I'm not an alcoholic. I'm too successful to be an alcoholic. I got underwear with my initials on it. <laughs> How can I be an alcoholic? <laughs> and... Uh, I, I, I went on, got drunk one night, and I called this guy. And uh, this is a guy that, I, that had told me some months before that he was an alcoholic. He said it right out, like he was real proud of it. And, uh, and he said, uh, you call me if you uh, ever think you got a problem. <laughs> so I called him. Not because I thought I had a problem. i got to get this woman to drop the divorce. I got a bullshitter, and she ain't buying my bullshit too much anymore. I've been married to her 14 years. She now knows all the stories. And I don't know what to say to her to get her to drop this divorce. And I call this guy. And I said, I'm not an alcoholic. That's not why I'm calling you. And he said, yes, I know. Social drinkers call me all the time at 3 in the morning. He said, what do you want? I said, well, I've been thinking. And what I'm thinking is, if I don't drink for about six months, that... Uh, She'll drop this divorce, and I can get back to what I consider normal living. And uh, But I got a bullshit pretty good here for about six months. Now, I can stay sober for about a week when I'm really pushing it. But after that, I get real nervous. See, I have this problem. It's not drinking problem. When I drink, I feel better. It's when I quit drinking and I go on the wagon. That's when I get nervous. I get nervous and edgy and irritable and crazy, and I can't function. And that's when I ain't drinking. I have what I would describe as a horrible sobriety problem. And I don't know what the hell you're supposed to do with that. And the guy said, well, he said, I'll tell you what, he said, uh, we just do this thing a day at a time. I said, no, I need about six months. <laughs> One day, she ain't going to buy that shit. <laughs> six months. And he said, well, <clears throat> Barney, I haven't had a drink actually in four and a half years. And I said, well, my problem's not quite that severe. <laughs> I don't need that kind of time. I need about six months. This was the first conversation I was to have with this man of many conversations because he became my sponsor. And we were to have many conversations that were the same as that. That is, I would talk to him about what I was feeling and thinking, and he would say something back to me that would indicate he hadn't been listening. <laughs> and he did it all the time. He starts taking me to these stupid meetings, which were just god-awful. We'd go to these meetings, and it was the same crap. 
every night. Somebody get up there and lead the meeting, be real happy and joyful and free, and uh, and uh, and then they would uh, oh call on people to read, and they'd read the same crap out of that book every night, like they couldn't remember it. Chapter five and how it works. And then they would call on people to read who weren't very good at it. And then they would applaud. Oh, George is going to read chapter five. Is that one? Jesus. And then they read these traditions. I had no idea what the hell that was all about. But they seemed really important to these people. They read every night. They read them. I thought they must do that to see if the newcomers can pronounce anonymity. I don't know what. <laughs> and then when they can't, they laugh at them. You know, it's the same. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't have the slightest idea what's going on. They're reading all these steps. They're talking about God. I don't know. And then you get people getting up the podium and they talk about all their marriages and their divorces and their jails and their hospitals and their institutions. Jesus. It just goes on and on and on, this litany of horrible things that happen to these people. And I don't identify with any of that crap. And people are saying, have you identified yet? And I'd say, no. And I don't expect to. I'm not like these people. There wasn't an anchor man in the bunch. Nobody like me. And we go to these meetings, and we go to these meetings, and we go to the meetings. And then I said to this man who was my sponsor, oh, one night I, I thought I could help these people a little bit, and I, I, I went up to this woman who seemed to be in charge of this meeting, and I said, you know, I noticed uh, you folks read out of your blue book there every night. And you seem to read pretty much the same stuff. And uh, there is a lot of great literature that's been written over the centuries. <laughs> Prose and poetry. Things that would be very inspirational to these people, I'm sure. And I could bring it in here for you. And I notice a lot of the people that are reading are not very good at it. On the other hand, I am. <laughs> so I could read this stuff and... Be something new for these folks, you know. They must get awful bored with this crap. And uh, she said, how long have you been sober? I said, about two weeks. She said, well, I'll tell you what. I need, uh, I need a floor mopper. I said, you need a what? She said, we need somebody to mop the floors. After the meeting, oh, no. I said, oh, God. And I, I, I went back to my sponsor, and I said, how do we write to New York to report that bitch? <laughs> She's trying to kill newcomers. He said, what are you talking about? I said, she wants me to mop the goddamn floors. And he said, oh, that'd be a good thing for you. I said, why? He said, well, I don't think you should ever ask me that question. Just do what I'm telling you to do, and mopping the floors will help you stay sober. I said, I don't understand how. He says, just do it. 
So I started mopping the floors there on the left side of Ohio Street every Tuesday night. Actually, I got pretty good at it, and, and uh, I was finishing my side quicker than the guy on the other side. <laughs> My side was cleaner. So every Tuesday night, I'd finish, you know, and I'd go, I got you again, you son of a bitch. I never told him there was a race, but you got to keep an edge, you know. That's the way I used to amuse myself. Uh, I'd sit in the back of meetings and mock speakers and make fun of everybody. And, uh, I thought the birthday cakes were really ridiculous. And then after I'd been hanging around here about six months, uh, I, the thought occurred to me, because I hadn't had a drink in six months. And I, I thought, I wonder if I could get one of the cakes. If I could get a year, I could get a cake. And I could make a speech. <laughs> and I could tell these people what a bullshit thing this is and that I don't like their book it's badly written it's a bunch of crap I don't work their steps I don't believe in God and and I've had I've studied theology for 16 hours at Notre Dame and I don't believe in God so I can tell them why I don't believe in God I could lay that one on them but I could tell them I stayed sober anyway and they could stick that so I sat in the back plotting my speech night after night after night I sat there and I thought about that speech and I kept adding things and subtracting things and I thought I'm really going to tell these people and, uh, and then I had this spiritual experience I sat in a meeting one night and this tall redhead walked by <laughs> And she had this gorgeous, long, red hair. And she had these long legs. She had the greatest legs in North America. And, uh, and I knew she could help me. <laughs> so I started chasing her around the meetings. And I, 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 I went to a lot of meetings just to see those legs. I hated meetings, but I would go to see those legs. And, uh, you know, I'd walk a mile for a camel. I'd walk a mile to see those legs. And uh, I, I kept trying to get her to go out with me, and she wouldn't go out with me. She had three years sobriety. And she said, I don't date newcomers. And I said, well, I'm new now, but I'll be old later. How about coffee? <laughs> Try a little something here. And uh, one night she said, how many children do you have? I said, well, I have six, but they're very small. You'd hardly notice them. <laughs> See, I, in a way, trying to threaten my wife, I had said to her one night, if you don't drop this divorce, I'm going to get the best lawyer in Beverly Hills and I'm going to demand custody of the six children. I thought that would scare her a little bit. She said, you can have them, and she left. So I'm living in this apartment in Santa Monica with my six kids. The oldest of whom was 12, and the little one was about a year. And I'm trying to go to meetings, and I'm trying to work, and I'm trying to function, and I'm half crazy. And I hired a lady to take care of the kids. And I didn't speak very good Spanish, and her English wasn't very good, so I couldn't explain to her that I couldn't pay her. But uh, 
I figured, you know, a couple of weeks and she'll leave and I'll get another woman and that's the way it'll go. And, but she stayed. I don't know. She wouldn't go away, that woman. And uh, finally, after about a month, I came up with some money and I paid her. And her sister came over. Her sister spoke pretty good English. And I, I said, ask her, how come she stayed when I didn't pay her? And she asked her and she said, because she really likes your kids. I said, God, it's amazing. And uh, so that woman stayed with us for a long time. And uh, um, I went to meetings, and I hated the meetings. And I, the book to me was just so stodgy. And, and so, to God, it had it been written in 1939. And I thought, you know, this is old-fashioned stuff. It, it, it read a little bit, I thought, like it had been written by... Uh, an Episcopalian from Vermont. <laughs> Turns out it was written by an Episcopalian from Vermont. But I just, uh, I, I hated the meetings and I hated the book and I hated everything that was going on. I, I, some of the speakers were kind of funny and, and uh, I really was attracted to this redhead. That's why I don't think motivations matter. See, I, I don't care what your motives are. If you're in here for all the wrong motives, that's fine. That made a difference. The trick here is, listen to me if you're new, okay? Put your ass in the chair and leave your head outside every night. That's it. There is no other advice. I'm, I'm going to talk here for 45 minutes. That's the most important thing I'm going to tell you. Put your ass in the chair and leave your head outside. Because your motives don't matter here. And, and, and in my opinion, this is not an intellectual exercise. There's nothing to be learned here. There, there is, it's not like you're going to come in here and take notes and learn something intellectually and then know something. We do not have a chapter entitled Into Thinking. We got one called Into Action. What does that mean? It means mop floors. It means make coffee, it means stack chairs, it means participate. It means if somebody asks you to read or participate in an AA meeting, say yes. That's all. You don't have to like it, just say yes. Because you're saving your own ass. I mean, I see people all the time in AA meetings. We, we have a problem, we have a La Jolla meeting on Saturday nights, and we have two 10-minute speakers. And we have a hell of a time trying to get two people to talk for ten minutes. Oh, I don't think I want to do that. Who gives a shit what you want? You do it anyway. You don't have to. You know, it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you think. Thinking got you here. Action will keep you here. Chuck Chamberlain, who was a wonderful guy in AA, used to say... I don't believe that you can think your way to good actions. And I certainly don't think you can think your way sober. He said, but you can act your way to better behavior. You can act your way to better thinking, ultimately. But action is the magic word. You just got to do it. It's like my sponsor used to say, don't come to a meeting and tell me how you feel. Don't come to a meeting and tell me what you think. Come to the meeting and tell me what you did today to participate in your own sobriety. Did you call an alcoholic? Did you read the book? Did you go to a meeting? 
Did you call your sponsor? Did you try to help some newcomer? Well, I'm a newcomer. So what? Somebody's newer than you. If you got one day, you tell the guy that just walked in the door how you got the one day. That's what you do. We share our experience, strength, and hope. That's what we do here. So if you're new, you turn around and get the person that's newer and give them your phone number and get them to call you. And not here, here's my number, call me sometime. You give them a number and say, can you call me tomorrow at 10 o'clock? <laughs> and you get a commitment from the newcomer to say, finally, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he's sure you want something. And you get him to do that. And that's, and, and I, I worked with a lot of new people my first year. I sponsored people in my first year. And they all got drunk. Every damn one of them. And I finally gave up on it because I knew I wasn't helping anybody. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do because everybody I'm working with is getting drunk. And finally, when I was three years sober, I almost got drunk. By that time, I'd gone to work for CBS in Philadelphia, make it a ton of money, successful as hell, uh, not going to meetings because who needs meetings when you're three years sober? And... Uh, a guy and my wife was divorcing me. I married the redhead, by the way, when I was a year and a half sober. And she had two kids and we're raising these eight kids. <laughs> and, uh, and a guy said to me one night, a guy had 18 years of sobriety, and he said to me, he said, how's it going? I said, would you really like to know? He says, yeah. And I told him, I said, it's not, my life is not good. I'm here trying to be successful. I'm trying to get the ratings up. I'm trying to make a career here. Uh, but I don't like the AA here. And I don't like the way they do their meetings. They're very different from California. And uh, they don't read Chapter 5, for Christ's sake. And uh, they don't read the traditions. And, and they don't have birthdays here. And they don't have birthday cakes. They call them anniversaries. And if you sponsor somebody, they don't call them babies. They call them pigeons. And I said to a guy one night, I said, how come you call them pigeons? He says, that's kind of what they do to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the guy that was all different, to I, I just thought, Jesus, I can't do this. I can't deal with this. And uh, I said, my wife, you know, I married this girl. And, uh, and she's got these two kids, and we've got these eight kids, and I'm half crazy. And some of the kids are drinking and using drugs, which I thought was kind of unfair. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just nuts. And the guy said, well, how many meetings do you go to? And I said, well, I don't have time for meetings, for Christ's sake. I'm trying to be successful here in my career. And uh, he said, how many newcomers do you work with? And I said, I'm no good at that. I tried my first year, and they all got drunk. He said, uh, what are you doing about the third step? I said, oh, well, I don't believe in God. Hard to do that one. He said, well, uh, I think you got to go to meetings whether you like them or not. I think you got to go to the meetings and just put your ass in the chair and shut up. Don't you have to explain to him that you've been sober three years. Just shut up. And uh, and I think you got to have to do something about newcomers. you got to you got to try to give your phone number to newcomers. And uh, he said, I think you need to 
do something about the third step. I said, like, what? He said, well, we got a prayer in our book here for guys like you. And it's the third step prayer. And I didn't know that. And he pointed it out to me. My sponsor says, if you want to hide anything from an alcoholic, put it in the big book. (laughs) And there it was. There was that prayer. (laughs) And I said, oh, yeah, okay. He said, now, he said, why don't you just do that like you mop floors or make coffee or stack chairs? Just do it. You don't have to believe nothing. He said, "Just, just say a phony prayer. I said, to a phony God? He said, yeah, of course. I said, oh, I could do that? He said, sure. I said, well, I could do that. So I started saying the phony prayer to a phony God. And I'm going to meetings, and I'm grabbing newcomers and threatening them. (laughs) And some of them stayed sober, and I don't know what the hell to do with them when they're sober. They're in your living room, they're in your kitchen, they're on the phone, they won't leave you alone. What meeting are we going to tonight? So what do you mean, we? You're the newcomer. God damn it, leave me alone. And they, you know, then they embarrass you. They come to the meeting, you know, and you're, you're trying to look like a good sponsor. And they come up and say things like, how do you work step three? It's sort of embarrassing when you got to say, I don't know. I never tried that one. Finally, the only thing I knew to do with these people was to sit down with them and tell them the truth, which is a painful thing for me to do, because I'm trying to look good, and I'm trying to be smooth, and I'm trying to be slick, and I can't do that, because nothing's working for me. So I sit down, and I say, look, let me explain something to you. I don't like Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? I don't like these damn meetings. I think the book is badly written. The steps are bullshit. I don't believe in God. And to be honest with you, I don't even like you. The only reason I'm sitting here talking to you is because somebody told me it would help me. And the people I sponsor are very sick. They say, oh, I really identify with you. come to the conclusion that you don't have to be very bright to sponsor people. I believe this. I think sponsorship is so simple that it almost escaped me. It turns out that the principal job of a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous is just to keep the baby amused. until AA works. And I know how to keep amused. Go mop floors, make coffee, stack chairs, get involved. I know how to do that. Call me every day, goddammit. I know how to do that. And ultimately and finally what happens is that AA works. It works in their lives magically in a way that I couldn't even imagine. And, uh, now I got babies that explain it to me. They love to do that. Well, let me explain the steps to you. But that's just the way it is. And uh, I got fired from that job. 
And I came back to California, and I went to work in San Diego. I found out the AA was different there, too. Jesus, everywhere I go, it's different. And I, I started a meeting in Philadelphia. I started a meeting in San Diego. Then I started another meeting in San Diego. And uh, the other night, somebody asked me to come down and talk at that meeting that I started in downtown San Diego. That damn meeting's going to be 25 years old. And uh, and I went and talked there the other night. I just It blows my mind when I thought about it. I thought, oh, my God. This meeting's going to be 25 years old. And... Uh, and, and they're still using the same podium that was made by a guy who volunteered to make this podium when we were, when the meeting was a couple of months old. They still got that same podium. He's dead now. The guy's been dead for a number of years. That damn podium's still going. That's the way it is at AA. We die, but the program goes on. And uh, Carol and I have, over the years, have, uh, Jesus, I tell you, we, we, just, we just turned 28 years marriage. And um, it has, she's in West Virginia, and I'm here in California. It seems to work better that way. <laughs> but I sent her, for our anniversary, I sent her 28 roses. And, uh, and uh, she stuck them out. They had a hell of a snowstorm that day. So she stuck the roses out in the snowstorm and, in the snow and took a picture of it and sent it to me. But... Uh, it, it's it's amazing, you know. We she and I have fought and argued and hollered a, a lot, and a lot of our kids have screwed up over the years, and and just some of them don't even talk to us now, for reasons that have nothing to do with us. They just don't talk to us. They're bad at one another, and so they don't talk to us. I mean, you explain that one to me, kids. I tell you. Third step. Oh, when I was 16 years sober. I was driving from San Diego to L.A., which I do a lot when I'm out here, and I had a tape on in the car, and it happened to be a Chuck C. tape. Now, I never understood Chuck C. in the early days. I used to hear him talk, and I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. And uh, I'm listening to this tape, and, I, and all of a sudden, I'm understanding what he's saying, because now I'm 16 years sober, and it's making more sense to me than it did when I was two years sober. And I'm, and I'm listening to the tape, and I'm talking to the tape, which is a little crazy. I'm talking to a tape, and the tape, and the guy's dead. Now, that's nutsy. And I'm going, yeah, Chuck, that's right. Yeah, you got that set. Yeah, that's it. And I'm going along the freeway, and yeah, that's right, Chuck. One of the things he said was something I had heard him say before, and I never really locked in on it. He said, I believe the first two words of the Our Father mean exactly what they say. I believe that the first two words of the Our Father mean exactly what they say. Our Father. Ooh. He's my father? And I'm his son. Ooh. And that's spooky. He's my dad and I'm his kid. Oh, my God. He's my dad, and I am his kid. Well, what's my relationship like with my kids? Not so good sometimes. Have they always done everything I wanted them to do? Certainly not. Have they sometimes been a real pain in the ass? Of course. Have we fought and argued and screamed, those kids and I? Yes, over the years. Yes, a lot. Have I sometimes just been so angry with them I could just kill them? 
Yeah. Have I ever stopped loving them? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. And it's not because consciously I want to love them. Sometimes I don't. I can't help it. They're my kids. I'm their dad, and they're my kids. And so I love them. I love them when they hate me. I love them when they don't speak to me. I love those kids. It's an involuntary thing. But I do love them. Oh. Well, wait a minute now. If he's my dad, and I'm his kid, have I always done everything he wanted me to do? No. I'm a moral leper. I told you that. Have I often in my life been a real pain in the ass to him? Sure. Has he probably been very angry with me many times? Yeah. Has he ever stopped loving me? Well, I guess not. If he's my dad. And I, I've come to the conclusion that he is. I've come to the conclusion that he's my dad, I'm his kid, and I talk to him that way. And that's our relationship. And I think he loved me when I was drinking, and I think he loved me when I was doing all the rotten things I was doing to people. Because I am a user and an abuser of people. I really am. I am a very self-centered, egotistical, no-good son of a bitch. Trust me. <laughs> Has he ever stopped loving me through any of that process? I don't think so. Like he loved me then, I think he loves me now. And that's the relationship that we have, and that's the way I talk to him. And that's my relationship. I have come to believe, come <laughs> to believe, that a power greater than myself, oh, can restore me to sanity. I don't think he's done it yet, but I think he can. <laughs> and so I, uh, I just keep coming to these dumb meetings and, and, uh, and, and talking to drunks. Because I think AA is essentially just one drunk talking to another drunk. I, th I think, you know, AA is, not a, AA is not the book. AA is not the steps. AA is not the meetings. AA is not praying. AA is not intellectual. AA, in essence, is one drunk talking to another drunk so that the second drunk gets it and finally goes, Ooh. Oh, yeah. I've done that. <laughs> One drug talking to another drug. And so that's what we're doing, you know. Since 1935, when two guys started this thing with one drug talking to another drug, that's what we've been doing here. That's what we're doing now. That's what we're doing at this very moment. And uh, if you're new, I, I wish you well. I hope that you will come back tomorrow night to some meeting. I hope you will put your ass in the chair. You don't need your head in here. You don't need to think about it. Just put your fanny in the chair. And ultimately, through a series of actions that probably you don't even want to take, that you don't understand, that don't make any sense to you, you take a whole series of actions and ultimately your emotions quiet down. Then you go, when you come in here, you know your emotions are kind of like that. You're high and you're low and you're high and you're low. And after you take certain actions over a period of time, your emotions kind of get more like that. And it's never like that because you're dead then. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and after.
after your emotions quiet down for a while, you begin to understand a little bit about why you've been doing it all this time. There's a man sitting here in the front row who's been doing this for 54 years. I think AA works. If I don't drink between now and May 25th, I'm going to be sober 30 years. And I, and I, I don't take any credit for that. I honestly do not. My sense is that being with you, being willing to drive from San Diego to Laguna Beach on a Saturday night and come here and talk to the lepers, <laughs> being willing to participate and be in the same room with you, just to be in the same room with you, because God is in here with us, whether you believe in God or not, doesn't make a difference. See, he is or he isn't, so don't worry about that. He's in here. And he's in here with us. And we are together, sharing the same disease and sharing a common solution. And the solution seems to be one drunk talking to another drunk. God bless you. <clears throat> Hi everybody, I'm Steve. Steve. I am an alcoholic. Thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me be your leader. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be the leader until we uh, got out here. But you know, I, I was taught in AA that when uh, when we're asked to uh, take on a, a, a request, a reasonable request in Alcoholics Anonymous, we never say no and. That has served me well for the period of time that I've been sober. I got sober on September the 12th, 1994. It wasn't the first time that I've uh, been in Alcoholics Anonymous. Matter of fact, the day the day before I got sober, I was in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and I was sober at that point seven years to the day. And uh, I had gone to that meeting. I hadn't attended a particular any particular meeting for probably close to a year at that point. But what was going on in my life was my wife was asking me to get out of the house. My oldest daughter had said to me, you know what, next year I'm going to turn 18. And when I turn 18, you will never see me again. And she was pretty upset with me. Um, the, the man who was my boss had been my boss for 20 years at a pretty good company that I worked for had already given me my walking papers, you know, and told me, why don't you go thrive elsewhere? We're kind of tired of your behavior, your attitude. Uh, he even said to me one time, it's your way or the highway, isn't it, Steve? And I said, well, of course it is. That's the right way to get things done, you know, and uh, he wasn't going to put up with too much of that nonsense. That's what was going on, you know, for probably the two years before I went to that AA meeting, the night before I got sober. And, uh, and I went there because I was thinking to myself, you know, AA worked for me once before. I had a lot of problems coming into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1987. And I didn't know how to stop drinking. I couldn't stop drinking. I was trying and I had all these problems and my theory was, 
if I could just stop drinking, my problems will go away. And so I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and I did stop drinking. I got very involved with the Upland group. You know, if you've ever been out there, they're a terrific group of people. And I got really taken into that. And, you know, suddenly in my life, there was purpose, there was friends, there was uh, laughter, like we're, we're hearing here tonight. My whole life just turned around and, and it was so much better, you know, and I stopped drinking, you know. But after a period of time, I began to think to myself, self, why do you have to go to that meeting? You're not, you haven't had a drink in a number of years. Why do you need to call that sponsor? You haven't had a drink in a number of years. Why do you have to do any of the things that we talk about doing around here? You haven't had a drink in a number of years. And so I started backing away a little at a time. I heard Clancy say this one time. He says, alcoholics who get themselves into that condition, that position in life, what they do, they're like a large ship that's tied up to the dock. And those lines that hold it in place to keep it there have been lifted off of those pillars, whatever those things are called, piers, I guess. And that shift, the current just slowly takes it out to sea until it just disappears. And that's exactly what happened to me, is just slowly took me out. And what I described, what was going on in my life was all happening and, and I was sober, you know, not not sober as we mean, I was dry, I guess, would be a better way of putting it. I was not, I was an alcoholic who had not had a drink. That's probably the best way to put it. And, uh, and so when I decided I'm gonna go to an AA meeting, it's, it's supposed to be my seventh AA birthday. Um, it worked for me once before. Maybe if I go there, I'll catch the magic again, whatever the magic was. Um, I didn't know. And so I went off to my AA meeting over at uh, Euclid and C, and I was walking up the steps, and I saw uh, a friend who's a very, very good friend of mine today. And what I heard her say was, oh, my God, are you back again? Are you still sober? You know, what she really said is, hey, Steve, how are you? Good to see you again. <laughs> you know, but you know how our minds work. So anyways, I went into uh, that meeting and I was just, uh, my skin was just crawling. And in the, tr the custom, I should say, of that meeting is that you take a cake at the end of the meeting. And I was going to take a seven-year cake. And I was thinking, what am I going to tell these people? You know, because I knew what my life looked like. I hadn't out had a drink, but I knew what a mess it was. What am I going to do? Am I going to stand up here and tell you, yeah, I'm sober, everything is great? You know, or am I going to get up and tell you the truth and not understand why? Because I didn't understand why. Because I hadn't really worked the step. I hadn't done anything in this program other than show up. That was it, you know. And, uh, and the more I sat there thinking about what am I going to say, the more I realized what a liar and a fraud I was. And I couldn't stand it. So I bolted from the meeting before it ended. And then I went out because I couldn't. I just got myself into such a mess. And I got drunk on my seventh AA birthday, you know. The next day, I called the man who had stayed in touch with me. He had called me consistently, week after week, month after month. How are you, Steve? How are you doing? You know, and I was so rude to this guy. His name was Tommy, Tommy C. And I would, I would tell him, Tommy, why don't you call somebody who wants to hear your voice? Leave me alone, you know. And he would still call me. Every week he would call, check in, how you doing? How you doing? So he was the only number that I had anybody in AA after I'd gone out. 
So the day after I went out, I called Tommy C. I said, Tommy, I'm in trouble. And he said, oh, I know you are. <laughs> and he invited me to come on over to his house, told me to bring the big book with me. He says, you have a copy, don't you? I said, I do. And he said, uh, why don't you bring it with you? I walked in there, and I don't know what he saw at the door, but uh, I imagine it didn't look real good, you know. And we sat down, and he asked me, he says, have you ever read this book? And I said, well, I've thumbed through it a little bit, you know. And he said, why don't you and I read it together? And he took me through that book, and we started working the steps right then and there, you know. And I knew, I knew something different was happening to me, you know. And, and we talked. We, we, we worked through... Uh, the, the fourth and fifth step that day. It ended with me doing a fifth step with him, and then he said, I need you to go get a shower because you don't smell very good, and then I need you to come back here because what we're going to do is we're going to drive out to L.A. He's, he went to the Pacific Group meeting every Wednesday night, and I was going to go out with him that night and go to that. And I got introduced back into Alcoholics Anonymous. He passed away. <laughs> Oh, I don't know, a year and a half ago, and he still lives here in my heart. That man saved my life, and, and I couldn't, I don't know, you know, all I know to do is be busy in Alcoholics Anonymous and give back what has been given to me, you know. This is a great meeting. I love this meeting. You know, I've, I've, I've been here once before, and, and it's kind of neat walking in here. I know people. I know Mike. I know Les. You know, I know Liz, I know uh, Tommy. Tommy and I went to a retreat together not that long ago, and I got to know him quite a bit there. And, you know, and, and you know, the thing, the thing for me, Mike asked me a question. He says, so you're retired. What are you doing with your time in retirement? How you enjoy? And I said, well, I'm not doing anything in particular, nothing productive. And then I thought for a second, I said, wait a minute. You know, and I said, well, I, I do a lot of AA. That's what I do. I do a lot of AA. And he said, well, that's productive. And I said, yeah, it is. I don't know why I said that. But I do a lot of AA. You know what I did? This pandemic changed everything for me in Alcoholics Anonymous. It introduced me to the, the power of Zoom, the power of the Internet. So every day I go to a meeting on Zoom. It's an international meeting. And what's come out of that international meeting is I've had the privilege of leading people in step study workshops. You know, people from South Africa, from France, from Italy, from England, Ireland. You know, just small groups at a time, and we've gone through the this, this steps all together in a step study workshop format. You know, I still sponsor about five guys, you know. Three of them come over three mornings a week, and we sit down and we read literature and then spend time working the steps with each other, you know, talking to each other, catching up, helping each other. I still go to live meetings. I go to four live meetings a week, you know. I do things like drive people to meetings, you know, because they need a lift to go to the meeting, and there's free food, so why wouldn't I come, you know? But um, I'm involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was told at one time in my life, get busy in AA. And here's the, here's the difference, though, between those first seven years and now. The difference is, is before I got sober on the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous will get you sober and keep you sober for a period of time. And it did for me, you know. Today, I'm sober because I've worked the 12 steps and continue to work the 12 steps of recovery. I continue to seek out a relationship with God. I continue to look at what is between me and my God, you know, and how do I get that removed. So I'm always involved, you know, with the inventory process, you know, with, with a fifth step of some sort, you know, 
I'm always involved in that kind of activity because really what I want to do is just what it says in the big book. I want to be of service to God and my fellow alcoholic, you know, my fellow in the, in the world, you know. And that's what I try to do is to be helpful and, and, and to be productive that way. So I lied to you when I said I had nothing in particular to be productive. I'm productive as hell, I guess, you know. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. It's given me a wonderful life. You know, I don't know if anybody here is really new. You know, I know some people didn't maybe raise their hand. But I'm going to tell you what, if you're new, we welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can assure you this, you don't ever have to drink again. Never again. You can stay sober from this minute forward. All you got to do is keep showing up. Find somebody that's worked these 12 steps of recovery. Ask them, would you give me an assist? Would you help me out with that? You know, and anybody in this room will say yes to you. You know, so anyways, that's enough out of me. I want to hear from our main speaker, Daniel. My name is Daniel. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Daniel. Daniel. And it's wonderful to be here. And very quick start on that thing. I want to first thank Les for inviting me here. And it's a very wonderful and special privilege to have a chance to share my experience, strength, and hope in an AA meeting. And uh, this is the same place where. Uh, I received a message that saved my life 35 years ago. Um, I took my last drink not very far from here on September 26, 1987 in Pasadena at the Ice House Comedy Club. And um, today, uh, every once in a while, my wife and I, we watch comedy on, on uh, I think it's Netflix. and. <laughs> that darn comedians, he it said right behind him in the back splash, it said, Ice House Comedy Club. And I'm like, that's where I took my last drink. And so, uh, all right, I made up my mind, oh, we're going to go there. And so uh, I called, no, I looked in the internet and uh, they're doing remodeling or something and they'll open in February. So the plan is I'm going to go there again and bring my wife there. We'll be sober. Um, Let's see, so uh, I said my sobriety date, and uh, I, I, I'm going to talk as if there's a newcomer in the house. I, and I know that nobody introduced themselves, but I'm always, I have to do that. Um, I, I say my sobriety date because I want to let people know that I know what it is. And uh, if, if somebody's new, um, you don't know what your sobriety date is. I, recommend think back when did I take my last drink and decide upon a sobriety date and uh, it's very important because if you don't do that you might might have to make a new one um, I do have a sponsor today and it's I've had him for two years it's the same sponsor that Steve has and um, and I'll, I'll share how I'll working with it uh, I I came to uh, Southern California. I don't know if it's still Southern. I think the demarcation line between Southern and Northern is the Grapevine. So I live on the other side of Cajon Pass. So 
I think that's still Southern California. So I, I'm in the California high desert and um, I came there uh, on an erroneous job offer uh, 13 years ago, I think it was, and I did not know anybody and uh, look up an AA meeting and I went to the Apple Valley speaker meeting and I was living with my sister-in-law in Wrightwood and I, it's a 45 minute drive, but I went there and I've been going there ever since. And, um, and then eventually, uh, it, now if you ever um, don't think somebody's doing their service position properly, if you open your mouth, you might have their job. <laughs> and uh, I kind of thought the speaker coordinator job was very important job and it was uh, not helping our our group in a very helpful manner and I opened my mouth at a, at a um, business meeting. I mean sometimes it, it got to the point where uh, the speaker coordinator would not show up and he did not even have a speaker either so there's no speaker and he's not even here and and then the burden was on the secretary's shoulders and and then he, the secretary comes to me and he goes, Daniel, we don't have a speaker tonight. And I go, well, now I, I don't, I don't turn down service positions either, but um, I did have a good reason of, I think the good reason was I just got done speaking here recently. <laughs> and I think it was like nine months ago or something I said, okay, so I'm sitting there and I, I'm, he's going to introduce the speaker and my name came out of his mouth. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm the speaker tonight. So it was kind of going like that. And uh, I, I, go, I go there some time ago, who's the speaker tonight? And no speaker. Ah, uh, hell no. And, and then I, I, I knew who's sober in the house and I, I picked one out. But uh, so, um, And I just heard uh, during the, when we were eating, uh, uh, Kathy Friends Memorial is coming up. Um, oh. There was, the, the, when they came me, okay, Daniel, you can be the speaker coordinator. And I said, okay, give me a month. I gotta, I gotta sort this out of my mind. And there was a guy who, he, he did have his head screwed on pretty straight. And he got a lady to speak who happened to be one of Kathy Friends' sponsees. And I met her again a month ago. I'm still not going to say her last name because she's alive, but um, she's got like 53 years of sobriety now. And so I met Kathy Friend and I did not know anybody except in the high desert. And um, Kathy Friend uh, gave uh, just four names. And, and I went on that and so I, I met Kathy once in my life. Um, and and I call this guy and I think he's from the high desert. Can you speak at our group? And uh, he said, I would love to, but I live in Colorado right now. And um, why don't you call a guy by the name of Larry P down at the 502 club? And, and, and just the whole world opened up from that. And, uh, and I said, I desperately need a speaker for a uh, day after Christmas or something like that. And, and I'll, I'll have someone call you back. And it went like that. 
And then by the time uh, I got a phone call, I had it filled. And I said, I filled it, but I'll put you on January 2nd, is the way it, way it went. And so uh, I, I wound up meeting a, between Covina and over to Cucamonga. I, I know people pretty well. And I met Steve at the meeting he mentioned that Euclid didn't see. And so, uh, and, that, and I've, I eventually got uh, Les's telephone number. Oh, no, you came up with David. I met you when you came up. I had David speak, and Les came up with David. So uh, I, I met people one by one, and, and Les has spoken up there twice. I, so uh, it turned out to, the, the meeting has grown a lot from I had some nice people speak up there. Les spoke twice. Steve's spoken up there twice. So, um, uh, so I, I want to, I hope I can share with you from that you get out of it that there's a lot of opportunities and fellowship here in AA. Um, I walked into meetings in, uh, in, when I was in the United States Navy and we pull into port in Singapore. And now, you know what you got to do to find a meeting someplace when you got to speak their language. And I know it's English, but it's a foreign language English over there. Uh, you got to find what's called a telephone. You got to have a currency to shove into the coin machine. Um, so uh, I, I go to uh, downtown on the regional transit and I'm in a food court. And there's a bunch of people sitting around and it looks just like this right here. And dang, this is an AA meeting. And I looked around and I spotted a big book and, and I just sat and I was in an AA meeting in Singapore. <laughs> so there, there's lots of uh, opportunities for fellowship in AA anywhere you go. The disease is the same in Singapore. I did something like that, I think, in Hong Kong too. Uh, you don't want to do that in every country. <laughs> Um, in uh, the Persian Gulf one time, this guy looked at me like uh, he wanted to kill me. I was a guy with short hair in the United States Navy, and he was Iranian, and it was the southern part of the Persian Gulf, but still, he, I've never seen that look in somebody's eyes before, but, so be careful out there. It's the real world. Um, I, I do want to share, uh, I'll, I'll start off saying I, I am from uh, Northern California. It doesn't matter where I'm born, but it's, it does wind up being part of the story. Um, so I, I was born in Sacramento and uh, um, and uh, my father was promoted to uh, uh, in Procter & Gamble over to Cincinnati, Ohio, and we moved there. And I took my first drink sitting on his lap when I was, I think, five years old. And uh, I think the hops uh, made an instant sensation in my throat. And the phenomenon of cravings set on immediately. And after that, um, the obsession of the mind was with me for the rest of my life. And um, the disease is of such a nature that, and I did say it's for the rest of my life, and their only remedy is a spiritual remedy that I found. If, if I know in my mind, in my heart, that if I try to rely upon any uh, form of the strength of my own will, 
that eventually the uh, obsession of the mind will trick me and lead me into a drink if I'm relying upon my own willpower. And so that is why I know that a spiritual remedy is is very important. And plus, it's wonderful to live a spiritual way of life. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Introduce our main speaker, Brandon from San Marcos. self-centered, so you're probably not going to hear anything I say anyways. So, uh, you can go ahead and start thinking about yourselves now. Um, I, uh, because that's how I felt. Um, I want to thank, uh, Larry for asking me to come out and speak, wherever you are, Larry. Um, and, uh, I went to a concert last night, so I'm tired, I'm grumpy, and I had to work today, and blah, 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 blah. But, uh, Again, that's, um, that's, I guess, what I've always looked for, is, is for you guys to uh, fix what's always been wrong with me. And um, I can give you a list of what's been wrong with me from, like, age five. Oh, and I want to thank the 10-minute speaker as well. Um, that's pretty gnarly. I, I, I feel like I'm just, oh, I just drank and I wet the bed. I'm, that's all I did. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> the end. That, that's it. So... Um, but I did it more than once. Is that, I mean, that counts, right? It's, it isn't just once. Uh, yeah. uh, and I went number two, too, a couple times as well. Um, I, see, I wonder what's going to come out of my mouth tonight. Uh, that's the other problem. I just, it just, and then I want to catch it, and it's a little bit too late. Um, but um, but what, what a privilege it is to be up here and, and feel so much free today on the inside and it's sure in the hell isn't from what I have as far as material stuff um, when people talk about the loneliness and the, and the awkwardness and, and the uh, being the black sheep of the family that's, that's me from, from day one and um, I have tried to outrun and, and beat you guys and, and outmaneuver every, everything I could possibly because I'm just I, I've got to be ten steps ahead of you to feel just equal to you and I remember that feeling like in elementary school, um, you know, and I got held back in elementary school and, and that was devastating to me um, because I, I am so insecure and so consumed with myself that um, when things like that happen, I, I just, it, 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 I'm devastated. And then, and then what are you going to think about me? And then you're going to think I'm stupid? I, I can't have this. And then I just lock myself in a room and be quiet and then, you know, off to the psychiatrist I go, the psychiatrist I go at a, at a very young age. And um, nothing I've talked about up to this point, I, I think, has really talked about alcoholism yet, but it's just been my story and how I felt when I was young. And um, I have never been satisfied with anything in my life for, very long, for a very long period. Um, the way I looked, the, the, the grades I got in school, to the pair of shoes my mom got me, to... The job that I had, the girls that I've dated, it just, the shine wears off eventually. And uh, I'm looking for, for something else shiny and bright. And um, that's followed me well into sobriety as well. And um, I grew up in, in a small town up north, and um, it was a little country country town. And, and um, you know, I, I worked on dairies, and, and I worked in almond orchards when I was young. And, and you know, I, that was, I had a blast, man. 
I, I never really was able to shine it in school because I just uh, early on I had tutors and then they would they told me that I had learning disabilities and again that was something that was very devastating to me so right out the gate I'm, I'm different I'm different I, I just I don't think like you guys my parents went didn't bring me up like you guys um, I didn't walk like you guys I didn't I didn't feel the way you guys looked right out of the gate and um, I'll tell you what, the first time I drank alcohol, I, I was waiting for that. I had no idea how long I'd been waiting for that. And, um, you know, I was probably, God, I was in junior high, and that was probably the first gang I ever joined, and we were the Ninja Turtles. And, and, <laughs> but that was like the time of my life because we had, we had built pallets. What's so funny about that? We, we were hard. All right? Um... And uh, we, we had built pallets up in this field, and we had tumbleweeds all around it, and, and we were smoking Newport cigarettes, and we had porn magazines all up hanging inside of it. And, uh, we were on top of the world. We were on top of the world. And, and once we started drinking, I mean, we, we were going to fight everybody in that neighborhood. It was... I miss that, actually. I'm thinking about that right now. And, um, but yet, when I got sober, I was freaking out. You know, I was, I was terrified. I mean, I, I couldn't look anybody in the eye from a very young age because, yeah, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm, in, I'm insecure. And so the way you look at me, like, why'd you look at me like that? When you said hello, like, you said hello like like I was a burden to you and, and some, things like that. Like, the storyline that goes along with my head, but you give me a few drinks and, and it doesn't matter anymore. Like, and that's what a, a friend of mine describes very easily. He says, when I drink, you guys can be out on that picnic table out there drinking and I can walk up to you guys I'd be start raving, start raving sober and, and not and, and just feel disconnected but yet you throw a few drinks at me and I see you guys hey God, I haven't seen you guys for ages and, and that's what alcohol does for me it alters my perception of reality and uh, I don't know these things when I come in or so when I look back and I was new I I'd, maybe I felt like I was an alcoholic but I didn't have the facts about what my condition was and what, what the illness in the big book talks about um, but the phenomenon of craving and, and this idea that, that for the last 10 years of my drinking, like, I, I always told myself, I, I'm done. I mean, I, I would look my mom in the eyes, and I would tell her, she's crying, like, why do you keep doing this to yourself? And I'm like, I'm done. And yet, a day later, an hour later, a couple hours later, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stark raving sober, and, and I walk into the liquor store grab the bottle and I walk out and I start drinking all over again and, and, and I can't again it gets back to the powerlessness I can't stop on my own or else I would not be here I have a hell of a lot better things to be doing on a Saturday night than be here and um, but what I've come to find out is that I really don't uh, I really don't like um, I've got a full life today and it's a result of, of coming to things like this and learning how to look you in the eye and, and learning how to be um, somewhat content with myself and, and slowly getting away from the idea that, that I, it's impossible, impossible for me to satisfy every single person in this room. Not everybody's going to like me. And, and can I be okay with that? I mean, that, that's, that's like the struggle of the lifetime for me. And, and, but I, I get glimpses of it, like as long as I'm like the gentleman talked about, practice these principles and learn how to adopt these into my life, like, as long as I can be somewhat genuine and, and honest, like, who cares what you think? Um, but, but again, like, I've been trying to outmaneuver and outperform these people and, and get you to like me or see, see me in a certain light. Um, 
from some, such a young age, like, it's going to take some time. And, and, and alcohol was instant for me. Like, it took the big hurt away immediately. And, um, I mean, I love alcohol. I, I really do. It, it, it's, it's the magic elixir, and, and if the consequences wouldn't mount it up, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, and, it, I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, I, I had wrecked another vehicle or anything like that. It was just, it was an internal condition that, that I, I just had no more fight left in me. And I, was, I remember I was in my garage, and I was just, I was just done. I was done with the fight. And um, so, anyway, so I, I grew up up north and, and um, you know, had a lot of tutors, had a lot of psychiatrists when I was younger. And, and you know, my mom's trying to figure out what's wrong with me, and, and I'm telling her what's wrong. You know, I know she, she's obviously not doing it right and you know my dad is is you know him and i butt heads from the get-go because what i found out today is i'm exactly like him you know i i I don't i don't let things go i I will let you know my opinion and and it's the right way and um you know i I had never had a relationship with him before in my entire life you know we 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 did but uh we had we had a huge falling out and, and um you know that was it was very difficult but, um, so anyway, so I, I, um, I, I do like we all do. Like, I start hanging out with little companionship. I, I don't, I'm not going to hang out with people that are, that are all put together. And, and I, frankly, I didn't like that anyways. Like, I like dark, seedy bars. That there's a pool table going on over there, and then there's some woman up on the air hockey table, and she's dancing, and the, <laughs> and the guy closes the door, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, and we're throwing dollar bills up on there, and, and at the time of our life. You can't smoke in bars, but we're smoking in that bar. And uh, and just at that point, like, I don't care about anything whatsoever. You know, I remember coming home, and I'm bouncing off the walls, and my mom's, like, trying to sh- shake me and ask me what's wrong. And I'm like, just don't get away from me. Story of my life, get away from me. Stop asking me questions. Because um, then i got to get defensive, you know, and I've got to prove my point. And that's what my sponsor says, like, you know, you you can be wrong, but just suck it up and admit you're wrong. And I, I, I honest to God, like when I think about back then, I, I don't think I was ever wrong. I don't think I ever said I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Like those words just didn't come out of my mouth because I was so self-righteous and, and so arrogant and, and egocentric. And, and I'll tell you what, like it comes back today, nine years later, it's, it's still there. But with the principles, I'm able to keep that somewhat at bay and, and, and get to know you, you know? Because, again, like, I'm judge, I'll judge everybody, you know? And, and just by the way you look, the way you talk, the way you said hi, whatever the case is. And um, so anyway, so, you know, high school comes around, and, and um, I just, when I look back on it today, like, I, I, really, I really wanted attention, I think is why I acted like that. And, and so I... You know, it's still the the, the the gas card in, in high school, and we went and bought a whole bunch of booze, and we went to Santa Cruz and had a blast, and my mom worked at the school, and, um, you know, we, we, they ended up catching us, and they were going to expel us, and, and my mom's just devastated, and again, like, I'm looking at it like, I don't care that you're crying whatsoever, and, and in sobriety today, like, I, I have cried more in sobriety than I have in my entire life. Because I, I was such a shell and a heartless person when I was out there that um, I hadn't cried or laughed in, in probably 30 years of my life until I got here. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to say, but I, I, that's just the way it was. That's, that's how I felt. Like, I just, I, 
My feelings were way more important than your feelings, by far. And, and my behavior showed it. You know, so, well, watching my mom cry and then me and my dad getting fights and, and my dad saying, get the hell out of the house. We don't want you here anymore. And I'm like, you're going to let him do that to me? And, and just manipulate both sides of the family. And, just, and really, like when I first got sober, I was like, my family's sick and they're twisted. But like I was the one that was causing it all. And, uh, you know, my dad's got his issues and things like that. But um, the rules don't apply to me. Ever. Ever. And, and um, you know, like, I come in today, like, I, I, I find that stuff out today. But before, like, I, you know, I, I just, I drink too much. You know, I drink too much and, and wake up and God knows where, doing God knows what with people that I, I didn't even know. And um, that wasn't the plan when I started drinking that night. You know, I was going to be in bed by 10 o'clock. And uh, 11 o'clock rolls around, 12 o'clock rolls around. Then I'm, I'm in the car and we're going... God knows where to wherever we end up, and um, you know. So I, I eventually, you know, get some trouble up north, and um, I'm like, I, I got to get the hell out of this town. It's this town. It's like these dairies and these orchards and all these hicks, and I got to get out of here. So I, I, I boogie down here to San Diego, and this is gonna fix me. Oh, these, the beaches and the women and the booze and the bars, and and um, I didn't even really go to them that much. Actually, I, I, I stayed at home and drank until I got kicked out of bars and. Um, if you guys know where the West End is at over there in PB on the edge of PB I used to go to the West End all the time and got kicked out of there numerous times and, and uh, like when I tell these stories I pride myself on stupid stuff like that like yes I did do that yes I broke into that house you know yes I told my mom to you know F off and then I don't care and I've got my middle fingers in the air and she's crying but like I would tell my friends that type of stuff and I like it was I don't know why the hell I would think that, but that's just how I felt, you know, and, and um, so, you know, I, 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 I've got, I've got this job down, down here in San Diego, and, you know, I, I, I can't stop drinking at night, you know, like, I would get off work, and we would go play horseshoes down at the beach, and, you know, I, I would drink, and got to where I drink until I would, I literally passed out, and I wake up with, with, uh, you know, bottles in my lap, and I'd, be passed out on the lawn, I'd be passed out in the recliner, and then, you know, I'd be spilling the bottle, whatever the case was, but, like, I couldn't, I was so terrified to go to sleep without a drink, or, or anything, like, I couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep without drinking, and, um, th- these are the small things today that I really cherish in sobriety, is being able to get a good night's sleep, um, you know, and realizing, like, when I put my head to the pillow, like, I'm gonna wake up probably in that same bed, you know, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually don't s- yeah, wet bed. Are you judging me? My gosh. Um, but, um, you know, so I, again, like I get to a point where people are starting saying stuff again. You know, I'm overshooting the mark and like, I remember I end up in the office. They're like, you know, Brandon, we've seen your, your, your behavior change and, your, and your, you know, you're, you're, you're angry. That was my nickname. I had the angry ball of hate. That was, and I prided myself on that. I'm the angry, yes, I am the angry ball of hate. And, uh, and they're like, you know, is there anything we can do? You know, we've got this program. And I'm like, absolutely not. So I called this program and, you know, gave the list of 20 questions. And, and I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm devastated they're even asking me these questions. And uh, I'm like, no, 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 no. And I got off the phone. I went right down the beach and, and got uh, some tall cans and, and did, what I, did what I do. And... Uh, you know, like, I, I look back on all that type of stuff. I'm like, I was just so blind to it all. Because I just, I didn't want to hear it. 
I just didn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear most stuff, quite honest. You know, I, I mean, if it's not my idea, then it's probably, it's probably not a good idea. You know, because my head, my, my head tells me that my ideas blow your ideas out of the water. With everything. I mean, with how we can drive sales at work, to how I can make this meeting better, to, you know, whatever the case may be. And um, that's absolutely delusional that I, that I don't even have a college degree. And I think I've, you know, can, can do these types of things, which, I mean, that doesn't really matter either. But, um, so anyway, so I move into this house and, and you know, they're um, selling drugs or selling coke on the top floor. The, the second level, he's selling pills. And then, and then the bottom is where I'm at. And, and this guy's selling weed and, and the front door is always open. And there's just all kinds of stuff going on in that house. And, and um, again, like I thrived on that environment. I loved it. I loved it. And staying up all night long and, and um, you know, I, I uh, when I, again, I look back on a lot of stuff, I'm like, damn, what the hell was I thinking? Like, I really thought these guys were actually my friends, but the only common thing we had together was, was the booze. That was it. I, I mean, I didn't know anything about these guys as far as a personal life. And when I look back on all that, like, I don't, I don't even know who the hell my, my mom and dad really were, where they came from. I know nothing about anybody because I don't care about you. Why would I want to ask about how your childhood was and you know, how things were with dinner with your wife last night or, you know, how is things going with the job? Like, I don't care about that type of stuff whatsoever. Um, so eventually I, I, I get out of that house and I move into a different house. And um, that's pretty much where my drinking ended. You know, I, um, at this point, people are pissed off at me, you know, and, and, I, and I'm waking up and the coffee table's broken and the TV's kicked in, and I have no idea how any of that stuff happened. And, um, you know, it was like, you, you just got to get out of here. You're, you're just, once you start drinking, God knows what the hell you're going to do. And, um, again, like, I guess I was somewhat ashamed of it, but I was like, well, that's just what happens. You know, that's just what happens. And um, at the end there, like, I, I had no drive to want to go to a bar. I had no drive to want to go out and be around people, I just, I would open the garage, and I would sit in that garage, and it would be pitch black, and um, I would drink, and, and listen to Alice in Chains, and, and smoke a buttload of cigarettes, and um, that was, that was like, really what I wanted, just wanted to be left alone, and, and I kind of got to the point where I was like, I'm, if I die like this, that's, that's just the way it's going to be, and, because um, nobody understands me anyways, damn it, so... <laughs> I'll just uh, be left alone to curl up in a ball. And, um, you know, so I, um, so anyway, so I, I do that for a few more years. And, and I'll tell you what, like, really what, what happened was I, I, I finally got to a point where I was, just, I was looking at myself in the mirror going, damn, is this, is this really what my life is? Is this really what my life is? You know, I've got these speed bumps all over my face and I look like crap and I'm not eating and um, I, I, I can't sleep and um, I remember like the loneliness that I had on the inside of my gut when I was sober was just sickening and um, before I get here nobody understands how that feels hell nobody understands when I'm new and I got two days and I just feel like these walls are just coming in and the ceiling's coming in and I can't take a deep breath and like the anxiety is just, gonna, I'm going to die right here in a meeting. My heart's just going to explode. Um, nobody knows how that feels. You know, and, and like, it's, um, 
that's the selfishness, self-centeredness the book talks about. You know, that, uh, that I'm just, I'm uniquely different than you are. And that's what's really going to end up killing me. You know, and if, even today, you know, I had to get up at five and I had to go to work and I was up late and, you, and I had to work in refrigeration today and, and I had to commute. And other people do that too. Um, but my head will, will blow that way out of proportion and, and make it seem like I have a really rough life today. And I'm just so busy. And the first thing that I want to get rid of is AA. I'm not going to get rid of the job. I'm not going to get rid of her. I'm not going to get rid of that, that car. I'm, it's going to be AA. And I've watched plenty of guys do it. Um, I'm just glad I've pained my feet enough to realize, like, i got to show up to here. Because this is what gave me a decent life. So, you know, at the, at the end of it all, like I always say, like, if you drink long enough, it will take away your self-respect. It will take away any dignity you think you may or may not have. It will take away any morals you think you may have. For me, it did. And uh, I come here a shell of a man. Can't look in the eye, staring at the ground. And um, the loneliness is killing me. And um, there's, it's going to be like this forever. And I can't go on like this at all. And uh, so I found, I found a couple guys that were, that were serious about this and were in the, in the work. And, and they had had a spiritual awakening. And, and um, I came here for about 30 days. I'm like, that, this is not... This is not me whatsoever. And I went out there and, and tried once again, and I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't stop on my own. So I, once I came back, like I, I was, I told, at the time, I told my, my grand sponsor, I was like, look, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to do. Or I don't have anything to give anymore. Like, I, I'm done. What do I do? And um, he gave me some, some writing assignments and some phone numbers and said, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, that's it? Like, come on, I'm Brandon here. I need more help than that. And he's like, it, you're just like everybody else here. It doesn't really matter. Like, you're suffering from alcoholism. And um, if you went out of it bad enough, you're going to do what we do. Because if not, there's there's plenty of misery out there to be given back to you if you'd like that. And and when I look back today, like, that's I didn't want that. I knew, what the, I knew, I knew what that had for me. And uh, I didn't want anything to do with it. And so... He was very adamant about getting into the work and um, getting into work and getting into work quick and, and giving this thing back. And, um, you know, when I, when I look back on all that, like, I, the first three steps, we just blew right through. Like, I, I definitely understood the powerlessness in step one. Like, and because of that, um, it made my life unmanageable, which means many times in sobriety, I, I couldn't walk out the front door. I was terrified. Um, to open the mail, terrified. Um, and like, I, I would have to like get called out, like, Hey, we're going to come pick you up, be outside. And we're going to go to this meeting or whatever, whatever the case was. And, and, and that was me at the beginning. So it was like, it was meetings, work and, and a buttload of cigarettes. And that was it. Like to go out dinner, there's no way I was going to go sit at the table with you guys and talk because you guys were all smiling and I was just miserable. Um, a good 30 days, 60 days in sobriety, miserable. And, um, so, you know, by the time we, we blew through the first three steps, and then I got to the inventory. And, and the inventory was something that I was terrified of because I've got secrets. And I have dedicated my life to the image that I've created. And, and the steps crushed it. And I've been so long building it up. Damn it. 
And it still comes back today, depending on how my mood is. You know, my, my hat will get a little bit lower. I may t- button the top button and, and um, you know, put my mean mugging face on. It depends on my attitude. Um, it's still there. But I thank God, like, the, 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 the steps have shown me a way out, like, to stop, Brandon. You're, you're acting. That's not you. Um, you know, and, and then I got into to the amends process, and, and I never liked my sister from the get-go. Um, because, because she was smarter than me, and she stayed out of trouble, and she went to church, and she got a college degree. And I think one of the biggest things, and it's embarrassing for me to say, but it's because I thought she was a lesbian when we were growing up, and I was devastated of that and completely embarrassed. So I disowned her um, pretty much. And so when we went back to the amends and I sat down with her, um, and through the inventory, this all this stuff came out. And, uh, you know, I think it was like three years. She, she couldn't even answer my phone calls. Like, I made the amends, and she was out the door, and, and I would call her, and she hadn't, she wouldn't pick the phone up. My response was like, just keep calling her. As long as she's not telling you, leave her alone. Uh, keep calling her. So we would have, like, these two-minute conversations. And, um, you know, she came down, like, maybe three years in sobriety, and, and she came down to visit me down here. And, and before she left, she was like, where the hell have you been my entire life? And I'll tell you what, like, that was really, you know, tugging at my heartstrings for sure because I – that, that, I mean, that's how much resentment and self-righteousness I will develop to just, I don't care about you. Because you're going to embarrass me. Like, that's, again, my feelings are way more important than hers. I have no idea the things I said to her and the physical abuse I caused her when we were younger. Like, I don't think about that type of stuff when I'm out there. Look what you did to me. And um, I was able to sit down and, 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 you know, we have a great relationship today. I love her dearly, and um, that's not me. That's the sponsorship. That's the steps, and, and you know, God's got to be in some part of that somewhere. I don't know where, but He's in there somewhere. Or she's in there somewhere. Um, and and then the same with my father. You know, um, he. Um, you know, I. I, I they, they had some issues with their marriage early on, and. and um, I got pissed off at him about that, and he accused me of some things of when I was in high school that that um, you know I was I was pretty pissed off about, really pissed off about, and um, so we would go to family psych therapy, and and the therapist was like, "Do you have any?" And I'm like, "I don't, I can't even look at the man. He's not my father." Blah blah blah, all this stuff, and and so through the step work, we identify this type of stuff, and I go back, and I'm like, "Look, I." I, uh, you know, I used to take your car, take your money. I have no idea how it feels to be a father and sit home, um, even, even a mom, to sit home at night and wonder if their kid's going to come home or not. Like, I don't, I don't even have any idea what kind of mental, um, emotional damage that would cause mom and dad to sit there and be like, I wonder if we're going to get a phone call tonight. And again, I don't care. I don't care. Um... You know what the crappy thing is today? Now I care. And, and, um, but that's, I think that's what made me feel like somewhat of a human being today. I did not feel like a human when I was here early on. Not at all. I am not, I am, I am from a different planet. And, um, I, I can't identify with anybody. And, um, 
the steps has brought me, like you talked about, to the middle of the circle, to the middle of the herd. And, um, you know, there was a couple other men that, that I made that, that I owed some money back. And I remember my old roommate, he was like, oh, I'm going to go buy a big sack when you give me that money. And, and I'm telling my sponsor, I'm like, he's going to go buy drugs. I'm not going to give him this. He's like, you're clean. You're inside the street. It doesn't matter what he does with the money. So I'm in the, par- I'm in the parking lot. He's high as a kite. And I'm like, here you go. Make the amends. And, and uh, off he goes to do what he does. And, uh, you know. And so I, I get to the preceding steps. And, you know, I, I get quiet. Um, meditation. I get on my knees and I pray. That changes from time to time. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. But I, I, the actions are extremely important to me. And, uh, and step 12 is, is what I was able to give back. And practicing these principles in all my affairs, like those amends that I made, um, you know, these living amends today, like I, I was probably like six, seven years in sobriety. And my mom, every once in a while she would call and she's like, are you all right? Is everything okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. And I would get... I would get kind of upset and start to raise my voice at her. And, and she's had to worry about me from day one. So to think that she's just going to think I've been sober for a short amount of time, my behavior changed. Like, she still worries about me. And today, it's different. But um, it was I had a hard time with that. My sponsor was like, look, you have brought emotional distress to her since you were a little kid. You know, I like diagnosed with, with depression at a very young age. And she's just, she's just worried about you. And... Um, <clears throat> Again, like, I don't want to hear that type of stuff, but that's the truth. And so, um, you know, being able to go back and give this thing back has been probably one of the biggest fruits of the program I've ever ever experienced in my entire life because now I sit on the other side and I take guys through the steps and I listen to how damn unique they are. And I'm, you know, I, I... Sometimes I'm able to tell them other guys that are that are very very sensitive and have had traumatic upbringings that I you know I, I, for me I've kind of had to cater to each individual for, for what they have going on and but what I don't I tell them the truth of what they've got going on or what they're what they're acting like and um, you know we sit down and, and I'll tell you what like I still I, I still t- chase the shiny stuff. You know, I'm checking my bank account, and I'm, I'm wanting to get a new car, and I'm, I'm wanting to buy a house, and, and <clears throat> I will think that stuff's going to bring me some happiness and fill that void that I have inside. But I can obviously say, like, through my experience, once I get there, it's not going to be good enough. And the house has got to be bigger. The rims have got to be bigger. Um, you know, the paychecks have got to be bigger. Um she was good for a short amount of time, but, you know, she's kind of starting to annoy me. So there's got to be another one. That, and, and so it's on and on with everything in my life. Um, so once I'm able to sit down with a guy and, and, and go through the step work with him, it, it brings me back to why I'm actually here. I think, in my opinion, of why I'm really here. And it's, and it's to begin to learn how to build the best possible relationship with every human being I come in contact with, which I fall short of every single day of my life. Um, because I'm still judgmental, I'm still arrogant, self-righteous. It's just been put at bay um, with the steps and, and, and the ability to have whatever God is in my life. Um, but out of all that stuff, it's been an inside job. It really has been an inside job through the inventory to the amends to be able to sit down with guys and say, okay, look, this is, you're actually scared. 
You know, you, you, you were running and gunning, but you're actually scared. And you're scared of losing what you have or not getting what you want. And it will act, make you act out in all these different types of behaviors that you've been doing. And, and these guys are like floored. Like, I, I never saw it coming like that, ever. Um, because, see, I'm so emotionally tied to my story that I, my version of it is completely different than, than what someone that's not emotionally tied to it. And that's where a sponsor and a sponsor relationship has is, is, is been crucial for me to, to realize, like, look, they're not emotionally tied to it, so they see, they see the truth for me. Like, my mind will distort things very easily. And, um, you know, I, it, you get these guys going and you see, like, the, the, the dead man walking when they come in here. And then you see them turn around and, and they get jobs and they and they they go to meetings and they get commitments and they start to share a little bit and they they realize that they're no different than anybody else here. We're all trying to get along in this game of life, and, and, and there, there are this, this world is cruel sometimes. You know, but my reactions to it today have changed. I'm not so reactionary. Um, I have got a lot of direction with just like, Brandon, leave it alone. Keep your mouth shut. Um, at work, at home, in relationships, just keep your mouth shut and, you know, treat her good. Call your sister and say hi. Um, just do what your boss asks. And that, that's tough. Because, um, again, like, I've, I've got a head that's always thinking about a better way, an easier way. You know, I can maybe just lay on the couch, and these, this money's just going to fall through the, through the chimney and just going to um, come about. But that's, that's not how life is. And uh, that's not how happiness is either. I've been chasing that stuff for, for many, many years. And um, what I found out is that it's, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never get there. I'll never get there. So, um, I don't know. I, uh, how much time do I have? 15 minutes. Damn. <laughs> um, so, I, I uh, again, like, what my life looks like today and what I'm trying to do is... is um, be more, be more of an example than, than running things, you know, through my mouth. And, and um, I've been able to get a couple raises at work and, and new positions there. And, um, you know, again, like, I, I, I can't believe how much I really want to resort back to just, like, I give up. I just don't want to do this anymore with, with a, a lot of stuff. Um, but the, the thing what's, that's... Sh- you guys have shown me and my sponsors show me is like, look, anything good and decent in my life has taken work to get. And, and, um, you know, I don't want to have to work that hard for it, but I mean, what's the alternative? What's the, I mean, really today I, I have put so much work in trying to rebuild these relationships and pay these people back. God, I don't want to die drunk. I don't want to die with the wreckage that I had on my, on my conscience when I first got in here. Because I, me- I remember laying in the hospital, and uh, the doctor's like, you know, do you do drugs? Have you been drinking and all? And I'm like, you know, get up. no, I do not do that type of stuff. <laughs> like, appalled that someone would ask me something like that. I've been up for days, and, <laughs> and I, I just I had anxiety. I was going to have a heart attack. And, and, you know, my mom's in there, and she's, she's not saying anything because she's, she, she's very, very, not naive, but she's, she's just a really, really kind woman. And, and um, 
you know, again, she doesn't want to hurt me. And so she, uh, she was in there just crying and, and like, I don't even, I don't even care. I just, can, can you get her out of here, doctor? Like, I need to calm down. And, um, you know, I, I talked to her on the way home tonight or on the way over here tonight. And, um, you know, my grandma's not doing that well and she's kind of getting emotional and, and, um, you know, she's like, it's hard to see, it's her mom and she's like, it's hard to see, you know, grandma like that, like she used to be so strong and she was a teacher and she would take care of things around the house and my grandpa's passed now and, and, um, just the ability to be there and listen to her and, and just let her know, hey, the, the, mom, you're just there to help her out. You, you know how lucky you are to see that, that, that. You know, she hasn't died in a car accident. You never got to say goodbye or whatever, whatever the case is. Like, I, there's going to be all kinds of tragic things that are going to happen in my life. You know, I've been to funerals and, and I've been to weddings. Um, but all that type of stuff, what it's really done is been able to make me feel like a human being and, and make me feel like I'm a part of this life called humanity, which is not, which is not how I felt most of my life. And um, just because I've been sober for nine years does not mean I have been an idiot and done some stupid things and, and damn near got arrested and, and not have drank for like, you know, eight years. And, and um, what I'm trying to say is I wish just drinking a buttload of booze was my problem. But uh, it's not. That is just the beginning of the tip of the iceberg of what I have going on with myself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm delusional, driven by a hundred forms of fears and self-delusions. That's what's going on. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily always see that. And that's why I need people that are somewhat sane in my life to point that out. Being, Brandon, you are way off base. You know, you show up, you say what you're going to do. You're, you're, you know, you're honest. And when you do lie, you, you come about it because that, that got guilt gets inside of me now. And, and I've got to tell the truth when I lie because I still do lie about stupid stuff. <clears throat> What'd you do today, Brandon? Oh, well, I, I went to the gym and I, and I, you know, took a hike. And I'm like, no, actually, I just went to work and I came home and I just want to make it sound like I had an interesting day. But uh, that's not really what was going on. <clears throat> but, uh, like, again, all, all this stuff is about awareness for me today. Like, I'm not aware that that's how I behave 28 years of my life, 30 years of my life before I get here. Um, <clears throat> and what's made that possible is I cleared away the wreckage I've got a, a clear conscience today to be like, look, when I do something wrong, it, it, it bothers me in here, and I'll lose sleep over it. And um, my, my sponsor says it very, very simply. He's like, you can either go through, th- go through sobriety with a, a shield and a sword, defending everything you do, or you can go through it with a, a broom and a dustpan, cleaning it, cleaning it up as you go. And, and I try to clean it up as I go. And when, I, when I'm able to do that and swallow my pride and realize I do screw up, even though I've been sober for a very short amount of time, that it brings me brings me back down to ground level. Like I'm not I'm not unique. And what happens is um, when I do keep secrets or or I'm not doing what's asked, that uniqueness comes back into my life. Maybe I don't need to come in here to this. You know, maybe I can I can leave work a little bit early. Maybe I could take these little bit longer breaks. And um, that stuff will creep in. It always creeps in. Like resting on my laurels, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's why, you know, being in, in the middle of this thing and being, letting guys know that that's what's really going on has been crucial. Um, because what happens, I'll just, I'll, I'll stop, 
looking in the, in the eyes of the people that really know who I am and, and just saying, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's all right. But yet I could be dying on the inside. And, um, you know, I have no idea why the hell I'm still here and, and I've had to go to a couple funerals, you know, and, and, and I don't know why, you know, I don't know why a lot of stuff goes on in this world. And, and, and it's not my job. Before, I thought it was my job. Like, I have been so much stress on myself and on other people to live up these certain expectations. Everybody fails it. My dad, my grandma, my mom, they all, they've all got to be up here. They're human beings. They are flawed just like I am. You know, they've got envy and lust and, and pride and, and greed and the, all the same damn things I suffer from on a daily basis if I don't address them with the steps. And, um, you know, again, when I'm able to get honest with that and be genuine about that, there is nothing special about my life whatsoever. But I, I'm absolutely grateful to even sit up here and actually say that. And, and, you know, again, like, whether you guys believe me or not, like, it's, it's not my business. None of my business. But at least I can put my head to the pillow tonight and be like, I did the best damn job I could today, and, and tomorrow hopefully I'll get another chance to do it. And, um, you know, at the end of this life, whenever that may be, I can, I can die with a clean conscience, and I know my father knows how I feel about him today. My sister knows how I feel about her today. There, there, there are no stones unturned in those relationships. Um, and behind all that is a very, very freeing experience on the inside that, that you can't give me, that a car can't give me, that a girlfriend can't give me. That a certain amount of money in the bank account can't... Well, maybe a certain amount of money in the bank account could could possibly give that to me. But, um, like, all the, self, the self-respect and the dignity and, and the character and, and the morals that alcohol took away from me, it slowly started to be instilled back into me and, and to make me feel like I have something to give. Um, and it's through the work. It, it's through nothing nothing buying anything. It's, it's through... You know, getting honest, getting real, and, and pretty much just giving you my time. That's it. And sometimes you guys want to hear my opinion, and other times they just want to be heard. And um, I, I'm not here to fix everything, you know, or tell you what's wrong. Um, depending on the day, I, I may have to tell some employees about that. But other than that, it's not, it's none of my business. And um, again, like when I do that, I can be okay. And, and in my entire life, I have never been okay. And it's because of, of the guys that have walked before me, the women that have walked before me to, to show me t- how to be somewhat a decent human being so I, I can head my, hold my head up and, and, and look myself in there and be like, look, this, this is really who I am. I ain't got a damn thing to hide. And, and people aren't going to like it and people aren't going to agree with it, but as long as I can be okay and, and like talks about to be true to myself... That's the only thing that matters. And um, I have found that through the steps and through, you know, God and, and, and gentlemen that carry themselves at a much higher rate than what I do. But I'm, I'm trying to strive towards that. And, and uh, when I screw it up, I try to just clean it up. Simply, that's it. Because I will screw it up. Absolutely. And, um, again, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, wish you guys all the best on this journey that we call life. Thank you. Thank you.